Welcome to the Halloween Unleashed Podcast. Does your friend or family or even yourself own your own small business? Or do you work for a company that is constantly struggling with marketing and figuring out ways, trying to figure out how to keep the doors open, bring in more business, or simply just grow sales? Listen. I know finding the customers you need online can be overwhelming. The customers are out there, but what is the best way to reach them? It's not enough to just build a website and hope that they will come. If you're searching for a proven digital expert to help you find new customers, get existing customers to buy from you more often, .com Media is here to help. Their team has years of experience and proven history of helping businesses fuel their growth through multiple channels and multiple strategies. They'll do all the hard work of attracting new customer leads for your business. Then you can focus on making your business extraordinary. If you would like a quick demonstration of all the different types of services that .com Media does, Go to dot-commedia.com, that's dot-commedia.com, and check out all of their services. And mention Halloween Unleashed when you're booking your appointment and receive 20% off any service. You can't lose. All right, everyone, listen up. If you're like me and suffer from a gluten allergy or your celiac, well, let me tell you, when I discovered that I was gluten intolerant, I thought that my days of just having a nice cold one after work were over. Well, let me tell you about a little beer called Red Bridge Beer. It is brewed in St. Louis, Missouri by Anheuser-Busch that does Bud Light, Budweiser. I mean, you, the, the list goes on and on. Bottom line is, it is an amber ale that is free of wheat and barley Red Bridge Beer is the best tasting gluten-free beer on the market, and it's the most available. So please, go check out ABC Liquor or your local liquor store to ask about Red Bridge Beer and try it out. Do yourself a favor, drink beer again with Red Bridge Beer. Alright guys, listen up, this is a little announcement about the poster. The poster that Marianne Hagen and I had announced just a couple of weeks ago that we were going to be doing. The poster that Ryan Hogel put together. Now, here's the information. Marianne is going to charge what she charges as if she were at a convention that she goes to and does a signing for you. You walk up to her and say, hey, I would like to buy a picture with a, with a signature on it. It's 25 bucks. Simply put, all we're doing is making her signing fee and the print costs with the shipping. We're doing this as a favor to all of you. So, her signature on the poster is going to be $25. The shipping on the poster to and from her and back to you is $10. And then, on top of all that, the print itself is is 11 by 17 and it is only $15 so I printed it straight through my marketing company to save everybody some cash 
So who doesn't like to save cash? So $50 even, send me a direct message on Instagram or on Facebook and figure out how you can get on the list and I will ship everything directly to Marianne and she will sign them. She will personalize them. You got to let me know what you want in the direct message. At that point, I will let you know when uh, your poster is being signed and when it is coming back to me and when it is heading out to you. And if anybody knows my shipping methods, you know that I, I give you updates right along through the way and I will send you the tracking number as soon as it's on its way. So all you have to do, send me a direct message on any social media platform that you follow me on. I'll do my best to get you the information. And if you're interested, this is a can't miss situation. We really appreciate Marianne doing this and we appreciate all of you being loyal listeners to the Halloween Unleashed podcast. This is the Halloween Unleashed podcast. And now here are your hosts for the week. Welcome everybody to Halloween Unleashed. I am your host, Chris Morgan. And this week we're bringing them back for the first time since the season premiere, welcome back to the show, Brandon Zachman. Brandon, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's I'm glad to have you back. It's it's been a while. Yeah, it's good to be back. You know, I just kind of been focusing on the filmmaking stuff, and uh, I've still been listening. And I gotta say, this uh, the the stuff that you've been putting out has been incredible. Well, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's been one of those things that I've been trying to make happen with Daniel Ferrance for quite a while, um, and you know it's it's been a very entertaining uh, series and sad that it's it's ending. But uh, you know, because he and I could have talked for several more hours, but I definitely appreciate all the time that he gave. So I do appreciate the compliment. Uh, tell us a little bit about your film. I know you're, you're partnering up with another hobby member, uh, Zach Smith, on a project you guys just completed. So for those out there listening that have not heard about it or don't know about it, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the film and where people can find it. Uh, it's it's called Alone. Um, it's only like 11 minutes long, so it's not too much of a, you know investment. But we, uh, we shot it a few months back and... Um, you know, really took our time with putting it together and everything. We, we'd been talking about doing it for months and we finally, one day we're just like, you know what, next week we're shooting this thing. And we banged it out in a day and you know what, so far the, the feedback's been pretty good. Um, you can check it out on YouTube. It is called alone, uh, a short film. And, uh, we've been getting a ton of feedback on it. I've been trying to ping it around. It's, it's doing pretty well. So, um, we're looking forward to our next project. Um, I love the fact that there's a lot of part, there's a, a lot in that little short film that you guys did that was silent and people don't like awkward silence and see to me, I don't like it either, but at the same time when I'm watching it on screen, I'm like, this is uncomfortable, but it's supposed to be. So I do like it. So, um, yeah, very, very well done, uh, for, just a quick short project that you guys wanted to get together and do something, but looking forward to seeing what you guys have coming down the pike. Uh, thanks a lot. Yeah. Where, uh, the silence, that's like probably my favorite thing to play with. Um, it's the reason why I love the invisible man movie that just came out 
because they really use that silence to just make you so uncomfortable. And I feel like it's such a great way to build suspense because you kind of build it in your own head. Um, so I love to utilize that. And that's definitely going to be a big part of anything we do going forward. Uh, the next one is going to be more of a, a supernatural kind of take. Um, we both wanted to uh, really work on something like that. So it's, it's still a ways away. We have to write it and write it completely out and flesh it out, but probably hoping by the end of this year to have another one out. That's awesome. Well, definitely uh, tell us about it uh, when you get more, more done with it. But uh, by the time that people are listening to this and I put the episode out, I'm going to, I'm going to put the link in the description of the podcast. So the people that are like, yeah, where can I find that? It's going to be right in the description on the podcast. So awesome. Thanks a lot. No problem. No problem. Um, so this is the first time that you got an, an advanced screening of the episode that we're going to hear today. And we're going to follow the same format that we have been, you know, we're going to play about the first 20 minutes of his interview. And then you and I'll come back and kind of talk about that, break it down a little bit, and then we'll pick up on the second half. And, uh, today's the day that we get to the audience questions that people asked. So we'll be, we'll be covering a lot of that stuff too. Um, but what did you think? You know, it was the first time that you got an advanced screening of an episode that we're going to hear. Do you think that uh, we saved the best for last, the juiciest stuff for last? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about the reshoots. And I feel like it's always kind of been this mystique, at least to me, um, you know, what really what it was like on set and stuff like that. And you really get a, a taste of, you know, what it was like to actually be there. And I thought that was like, unbelievable as a fan believe me i i've talked to him and i've picked his brain a lot in the past over the last eight years and there was things that he was saying in this that i was like oh my gosh you know i i can't believe that i think even at one part i say holy shit like i could not believe (laughs) what i was hearing it was like it was mind-boggling so i i really appreciate him being so candid um he he speaks very, very well. And I don't mean this in a negative way at all. I'm just saying he really knows how to handle himself. He's very polished about the way he delivers the message that is truthful, but is, as you well know, there's certain things that you can say in all walks of life at, yeah. at any job that can get you in trouble. And he does an excellent job of being candid and honest but also protecting his brand which he should you know and absolutely um, but i definitely appreciate how open and honest he was about everything i've got to say just from you know listening to the episodes that happened so far it's just i I was worried i wasn't gonna have a show to come back to because you two have such like chemistry and like listening to you guys just talk like i could listen to it for for days so I was like, oh, he's just going to, you know, give us the boot and just bring in Dan Farrens and they can run the podcast because you guys, you you play off each other very well and you flow very well. And it was just, you know, I kind of would find myself getting lost in these uh, in, in these stories. Yeah. And I've had to go back and obviously listen to them when I'm putting the episodes together uh, for Fridays. But I'll be honest, it's like just sitting here listening to the stories. I'm just. I'm sitting there just like you. I'm getting lost. I'm like, oh, shit. I got to back up and 
you know, do something there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it, it's just, it's, it's really cool that, um, that this has been able to happen. And just to recap, if people are tuning in for the first time and I mean, you shouldn't be starting with part five, you know, uh, if you're just not <laughs> tuning in, but definitely go back through the series and listen to it. But what I stated in the very beginning is my goal was to simply paint the picture of the man first and then get in like we had doc brown's delorean time machine and we could go back to the set in 1994 and see it all unfold as if we were a fly on the wall and i think that through this through this little mini series i think that we've been able been able to do that and get a very vivid picture painted for us which i feel like is is really important considering the fact that Halloween six isn't really a, you know, a universally lauded film in the, in the franchise. So we never really got proper special features where, you know, you really got those in-depth things and, you know, talks about what it's like. So I feel like it kind of filled that gap that's kind of been missing. And I, I know personally, like, I think this is probably my favorite stuff that's been on the podcast just because I feel like I'm learning so much. I'm just like, wow, like, you know, things that I've thought about for, you know, 15 years, you know, of watching this film and just seeing it, it's just like, or well, hearing it, it's just crazy because just filling in all these blanks that I've had for my, pretty much my entire life. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. And, um, you know, that's the one thing that both Marianne and Dan uh, told me is they were, I was afraid I was going to overwhelm them, you know, with, I mean, I, I went and really extensively researched cause I didn't want to ask Dan and Marianne, um, questions that they've been asked a hundred times yeah. you know, because that becomes, and this is, this is nothing against them personally, but I mean, if you get to answer things a hundred times, sometimes you, you're just, ah, oh, I'm so tired of answering that. And I'm not saying that they are like that. I mean, they're both very gracious and wonderful, amazing people. But some people can get like that. And I'm like, I want them that if they're going to sit down and do a deep dive with me, that they're really going to get a deep dive, that they're going to get questions and get asked things that they haven't been asked before. And that's different. And that's the one thing that they both said is you really did your homework. You really did your research. And they were both highly impressed by that. So I took a lot of pride in that. And um, I think, like you said, it's been it's been some of my favorite episodes because it's just we don't get this every day. Absolutely not. And I know I can't wait to listen to Marianne's because, you know, we just kind of got the director's perspective of what it was like on set now to go – and in contrast, to find out what, you know, as an actor or actress and the lead lady of the film to kind of get her experience, I feel like, you know, it really is going to paint such a picture of what it was actually like. Well, much like with this series, I mean, it's going to be a great compliment um, to this series. It's yes, it's going to be the writer's pr- pr- perspective and then the actors or actresses perspective. Um, but I want to paint, paint the picture of who she is and where she comes from and highlight her career 
And then it's all about, you know, again, getting into that time machine and going back from her perspective, what she went through. So, um, I recorded the first half of that last Friday night and we were both, I was listening to the, to the recordings today, actually. And I'm going to have to, she's probably going to hear this for the first time now. So Marianne, you know, we're, we're, we're talking again Friday night when this is airing. So tonight, um, and we're going to have to go back and backtrack a little bit because both of us, I think we're getting a little delirious, uh, because, you know, we were tired. We were, we were comfortable. We have been chatting and everything and we would sidebar like crazy, but to get back onto the topic, uh, we were we were just having fun, and that's the thing is that's ha- that happens when you're having fun. Is uh, there's a lot of avenues you can go down, but I think I want to bring it back because we lose track a few times. Just let's just put it that way, and I want to bring it back and really compliment because the first thing she said is, "I'm listening to Dan's episodes, and oh my gosh, I want mine to be the best." <laughs> so um, <laughs> if we're gonna do that. Just know that uh, we're going to have to backtrack a little bit, but trust me, if you want it to be the best, just trust me. We'll we'll backtrack a little bit and we'll clean up some areas that uh, when we were a little offbeat a little bit. Well, it's going to be tough to top Dan. I've got to say, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but I feel like I learned so much through you know these these five episodes. It's it's going to be some stiff competition. Her episodes are going to be great. So can't wait. Should, do you have anything that you want to add before we get started or should we just go ahead and give it to everybody? No, I think we just let it loose. All right, everybody. This is part five series finale with Daniel Ferens. We will be back in 20 minutes. Prior to Donald's passing or was it afterward that they said, well, now he's out of the way. Let's go ahead and do what we want to do. Well, I don't think that was their position, but I don't think that anybody, I think Joe was probably in the midst of his Hellraiser experience Mm -hmm. at that point. So nobody was really, it wasn't on anybody's radar yet. I mean, they were saying, okay, we got to do something with the movie. We don't know what that is, but it's on hold until Joe's freed up after he finishes what he's promised to do for us on this movie. So, you know, and I do remember there was on the Akkad side of things, I remember there was this frustration of not having regular communication with their director you know, like, well, where is this guy? Like, why is he off doing this when this movie is his, his showcase? This is his introduction to, uh, you know, the, the world of, of mainstream movies. Like, like, well, why is he not putting Halloween six as his priority? You know? So I do remember there was that kind of like friction in a way that they were like, well, we can't even get him to call us back. So I don't do remember you, if there was ever any talk about bringing in a new director at that point. I don't, I don't think anybody ever said it, but I think there was this kind of impatience with, well, when are we going to get our director back, Bob, <laughs> since you went and hired him to do something else. Right. Um, right. So, and, and it wasn't until July that we even got the go ahead to do it. So, so two months, two months before the movie yeah. comes out. Yep. Holy shit, man. It was blazing hot summer in LA, uh, hundred degree days. Talk about polar opposites, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We went from like the frigid 
winter of Salt Lake City to the <laughs> desert heat. It was it was horrible. Like, I remember like the makeup melting off everybody's face. <laughs> it was a mess. And we're yeah. in this like horrible, you know, like old abandoned hospital in downtown LA, and it was it was it was it was something. Um, but uh, yeah, it just it just didn't feel the same, and you know, it was a different crew, a different DP. You could tell, you know, yeah, it just was like, wait, wait, what is this? Feels weird, you know. And there were a couple of holdovers. You know, like Joe had his kind of loyal people around him, like Linda, who's the makeup artist, and she was a sweetheart, and she she came back, and there were you know like a few key people, but there, you know, it was all new people. It was all the new LA based crew who just kind of jumped on this, and it was it just was, <laughs> and I want to say it was all done in like five days, maybe. If even four or five days. Well, all that the, footage. Well, the thing I will say is the way it came out, it definitely felt rushed. You know that that, that oh, is for was. sure. And because that's, it was. And once again, for the record, that is no detriment to you or what you wrote, because oh, by oh. this point, this was all Joe and Miramax yeah. at this point. Well, it was Joe. It was Miramax, but it was also a group of unknown writers sure. who were kind of like. You know, I'm sure there were people that were in business with them at the time. They had, they'd sold a script or whatever. Um, uh, I can think there's one writer, and I can think of his name offhand. But you know, there were Rand Ravitch. That was his name. He was writing stuff. He'd done like the Astronaut's Wife, the Charlize Theron movie. I think that came later. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but he was he was brought in to kind of doctor what was being put before the cat, you know, so I, I would just show up on any given day and there'd just be these pages. I'm like, Oh, I'm glad I stayed up all night to write my version. Who, who wrote this? <laughs> I don't know. They would just be there. Wow. So yeah, you know, I just, I didn't feel welcome. And I also didn't feel like I had anything to contribute at that point creatively. I tried, I mean, Joe kind of turned to me a couple of times. He's like, what should I do? I remember the day that that infamous scene where Wynn walks into the hallway and he's like, Oh, ho, ho, Halloween is over take that silly robe off. That was, no, no, I swear to you, this is what happened. I was standing right there. The phone rings and it was like one of those primitive cell phones. Uh And it's Bob from New York, Bob Weinstein. And you can hear him over the phone screaming at the top of his lungs. You know, because it was like one of those voices that would, it wasn't even on speakerphone, but everybody in the the hallway could hear him. And they were just about to shoot it. And they had the robes and they were going to do this whole thing. And he goes, I want those fucking robes out of this movie. Oh. Get them out. I don't want to see a fucking robe. And we, <laughs> and Joe's like holding the phone out, like so his eardrum didn't get blasted. And I remember there was like a young Miramax person on the set. And everybody, we just all stopped and like looked at each other. Like, well, we're about to shoot the scene. And, <laughs> and Joe, like, like right in the moment, he's like, just take it off and just be like, oh, well, Halloween's over. That's how that happened. Well, and that you know how 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 fitting that that line actually was because I mean it's like the miracle. It really was over. Wasn't it? Yeah, it, it really was. And 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 here's the thing that doesn't make any sense. Over. Here's the thing that doesn't make any sense about that is you shot an original. Well, that's why version. when you're scripting on the mo in the mo, you know, that wasn't even scripted. It was literally just thrown at the actor to just say this. Exactly. So yeah. Going. Yeah, but but what what's funny about that entire thing is like okay, you you got the original draft, so you know however many they yeah. there 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 were, you greenlit right. it, you let it yep. go, you shot yep. an original version with this. Now we have other parts of the film that we can't go back and reshoot at this point oh, that really? has those in there. 
Yeah. So now you just want to omit the entire thing. That makes absolutely no sense to well, me. Well, that's it. But that's that's the that that's the 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 uh, the uh, the the hazards of working with uh, Weinstein Company <laughs> or what was oh. Dimension at the time. You literally stand there like we were just like looking at each other in silence for twenty seconds, going, um, "What do we do?" Yeah. Okay. Well, no. we got a roll, so you know we got we got one hour to shoot this, so we better make a decision. What are we going to do? And it was like, well, here, put a hook on the wall. <laughs> the I mean, I laugh, but it it was. La- I'm not kidding you. I'm not exaggerating when I say that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. All right. Um, and so, I think it was also one of those moments where Paul Rudd, who was kind of his star, was very much on the rise because remember this was the Clueless, summer yeah. of of of. of 1995 and clueless came out i want to say maybe june so it was yep. already out yep and he was already his star was very much on the rise when i tell you he didn't want to be there for these reshoots <laughs> i don't know what i don't know how to emphasize that more the only thing that i think kept him going was the fact that he knew how much this movie meant to me because we'd become friendly on the first part of the shoot and he wanted in fact i want to say if i recall like instead of turning to Joe after a take, he would turn to me and go, was that okay? It was that kind of tension. Yeah. He was that unhappy with the whole, he just wasn't, he just, he just didn't want to be there. And And not because he was felt he was above, I want to be clear. It wasn't because he felt he was above Halloween or being in a Halloween movie. He just didn't like the fact that they were taking what he thought was a cool script and a cool concept for this character that he was playing and, and the series and turning it into something completely unrecognizable. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that he, and he knew, cause he, you know, of course he got all the pages of stuff he wasn't even in. And he was like, well, what, what, what is this scene now where the father's head explodes? Like, what is this scene where the, you know, all the gore, he said, why are they taking this movie that was supposed to be, I signed up to make a classic scary suspense movie, not a gory horror schlocky film. And right, when he right. found out that's what they were, that's where he, you know, and there's all these rumors how much he hated it. it. He didn't hate the movie. He hated what they did to the movie. And do, is, is that kind of why he's like kind of dismissed the franchise ever since? Cause I, I remember back when you and I were talking, he was actually a little upset with you or like he questioned you at an airport Ooh. about why wasn't I invited to be at this cast and crew convention, you know, like where everybody was having like this big, Halloween six reunion. And I, I remember you telling me oh, something. You, yeah. You're mistaken. It wasn't a Halloween six convention at all. There was, and there was no reunion. It wasn't uh. that at all. I wasn't, I was at a convention. It was just a horror convention. I think it was promoting probably, you know, never sleep again or one of those things. Okay. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't Halloween. Um, I just said, Oh, you know, they, cause I had mentioned to him that there had been the 25 years of terror thing and all of that. And I said, Oh, you know, I know fans would love to see you. And he says, they never invite me. It wasn't that of me. It was just sort of like, well, what? that's not, that's not nice. Why, why would I not want to come? <laughs> I'm like, well, because you're a big star. He's like, I would come. Wow. So he wasn't like, you know, there was no like, Oh God, I've been dying to be in this convention. He just, you know, I was like, but that's the hey, picture that's been painted of, of him over the years. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's been, that's been commented on several times. It's like, well, he had such a horrible experience. He is completely no. does not want anything to do with Halloween. No, no, no. And he had a horrible, I mean, like me and, you know, like me, um, and I would probably, I, you know, I don't want to speak for them, but probably I can, I probably can. And they are Todd, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a good experience when they did all the changes. 
But in terms of his involvement in in the movie itself, no, never. He was never like that. He was never a snob or thought he was above it. Or he was thrilled that he was playing that character, that you know, the grown up Tommy. And he was so into it. And I, <laughs> when he found out what a fan I was of the series, it changed everything for him. He was suddenly like a kid in a candy store, like. Oh my god! And it's like the scene where da da da, and it's like I want to make my eyes like when Brian Andrews looked out the window. And <laughs> so he he, <laughs> he knew the history like, of that. Oh oh my god! Yeah yeah. And he just wow. it became even more meaningful to him. And I remember him telling me this whole story of how when he was a kid and he first saw Close Encounters, how much it traumatized him. <laughs> like that whole abduction scene with the little kid, and he, and he told me that because I told him how terrified I was of the original movie, but now I'm you know making these movies, and um, he just loved it. He loved it. Like, you can't even imagine how, like, thrilled he was to hear that I was this, you know, mega fan. Wow. Making the movie, or that wrote the movie. That's, so that's it the, just, it made it cool more enough. excited to be a part of it when he found that out. And, and I think, honestly, it was part of the reason he was there. I mean, as much as he was unhappy in the reshoots, he would, he would, like, huddle with me and Marianne after takes, or he'd just go to his trailer, or he'd be on the phone, and he just, he just wasn't happy. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't, um, the jovial Paul excited Paul he was in the original shoot in Salt Lake he was just kind of like guys like why are we doing this and you know kind of whispering to me or whispering to her and god this is just not going to be good and why are they changing everything and you know it was that kind of feeling the inevitable fall you know it was about to hit us just like this isn't the right way to do it now Um, yeah that was his in studio films, when, when actors sign on, uh, for those that don't know, is mm-hmm. it in their contract that, hey, you're expected to do reshoots even after we yeah. wrap if yep. that's going Absolutely. to happen? So that's mm-hmm. he was contractually obligated to, to do it even though yep. he didn't want to do yep. it. Yep, 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 uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, and um, he actually, I, I do believe that both he and Marianne had signed options to do Halloween 7. If they yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. Out. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. They did. I I know for sure she did. So if she if she was optioned, he was too for sure, because you know. But wouldn't that have been cool? Like <laughs> somehow, like find a way to do like, you know, the version picks up where that one left off and maybe make one that's better. But uh, yeah, they both had an option to do the se- the seventh the seventh movie, Halloween Seven, which obviously never came to be. But um. Would have been kind of cool to have Paul Rudd in two of them. I know they just asked him to do the latest yep. one. Yeah. They reached out to him. Uh, and I confirmed that's true. Alan told me that it was true. They did ask him. And he was actually game for it. He thought it was cool. I um, would have loved to have just, seen that. He just couldn't He couldn't get out of it. He was doing this little Ghostbusters movie. He couldn't get out of it. <laughs> oh, just just a small little production. Just a little movie did. like that. <laughs> a little, little indie film. Uh, so unfortunately he couldn't do it, but he was, he was asked and he was super game. He was thrilled. They asked him what I, from what I was told and, uh, uh, wished, uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Well, actually it's kind of an interesting choice. It makes sense. It is. You know, I, I still see him as rusty Griswold, but of um, course. So let, let me ask this. And I, I, I want to make a couple of kind of kids here. though, right? Wasn't rusty kind of like a Tommy Doyle. He kind of was like the same kind of kid, kind of goofy kid. Yeah. Sure. Um, okay. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> um, I got a couple I'm comments, and then I and, and then I want to follow up with this. Um, yeah. You know, we we talked a lot about Joe and how he was beforehand. Mm-hmm. You know, and how he started to just kind of be done with you. Um, I think well, where I, I, mean, I that's think that's a little harsh. I don't. I don't. No. 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 Like I, there just, was this kind of like. 
schism where we didn't speak to each other. I was, you know, he, he was never mean. He just no, no. Tell he that's... wanted to get. He wanted to. He wanted to do it his way, and he didn't want to be told any different. That, that exactly. Was, yeah. I, no, that's that's kind of what I was it, getting at. Yeah. It, was, it was his movie. I, I really didn't have a, a place to say to him that don't do that. Yeah. You're, you're making all these terrible decisions, and that's not that's that wasn't my job. And I, you know, I don't think he wanted to hear it. And I think the the moments where I did step out and say. Uh, which were plenty, you know, he got, he got an earful from me a few times and, and, and I wasn't, you know, maybe I could, I should have probably been a little more sensitive, but I think I was almost feeling in a state of panic. Like, wait a minute, like all this, this feels like the train, pardon the reference to the train again, but the train had sort of felt like it was on a runaway track, you know, like it wasn't, nobody was containing it anymore. Nobody was, nobody was steering the train. It just sure. felt like everybody was abandoning ship. <laughs> well, <laughs> as quickly as they could. what I was going to state was that I, I, I really feel that if there was, if, if, if there was that there, I think that he was probably going into business for himself to protect his, his other two pictures he had lined up. Sure. But also I think where he catches a lot of, like hate i mean seriously hate from the fan base it's not about his direct how how, how do people hate somebody they've never met like how do you hate somebody you've never met he's he's a green being with a a family and 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 feelings and and has a good heart like he's not a bad human being like i this whole culture of hate of people i I agree okay there's this entitlement that people feel that they can hate people they've never met and i just resent the living fuck out of that sorry but it's no that's horrible. fine it's a totally uncensored podcast so he didn't, he didn't he didn't do anything to those people he made a movie that in some ways succeeded and a lot of ways didn't succeed he's not a horrible human being who deserves to be like tarred and feathered publicly <laughs> he made a movie and it was an early movie and he's had a super successful career in tv and stuff since so for sure i yeah. you know I, I i just think people are horrible that today the, the things that they that come out of their mouths and these keyboard warriors who sit behind the anonymity of their computers and think that they can say anything they want and they can, but it's just a disgusting culture that, 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 that people have these opinions and feel like they can say any, anything to anyone they want and harass them and be belittle people. And it just annoys the living shit out of me. So that's all I'm going to say. So, all right. Um, I, I think, I, I think we're some of this negative press, I'll just, I'll mm-hmm. kind of I'll kind of change my words on that. Uh, negative press towards him comes from, and maybe you can confirm or deny this, um, is that there's been so many reports over the years, which you've debunked a lot of them, by the way, but that mm-hmm. Joe Chappelle found Loomis's character boring, and that's why they uh, wanted to cut all these scenes with him out of the film. Is I I I, I can neither confirm nor deny. It just doesn't sound like something Joe would have said outwardly that way. I think. What I do recall uh, on that topic was that the, I, I, I use the term loosely, but you know what I'm saying, is that, that infamous screening in New York, Bronx, or whatever it was, where the you know, kind of inner city kids came and got, got mad that the movie wasn't you know, Jason. Um, they, I, I just think some of the audience remarks were like, who's that old guy? He's boring. Okay. So maybe he you was kind of... Kids who had no knowledge of, you know, probably kids who'd never even seen the original Halloween, didn't know who he was supposed to be and why there's so much screen time with him. And but I think it was more that reaction to the original version where Loomis was obviously more um, incorporated into the story. 
and had more to do, more more to say. Mm-hmm. And so I think following the the guidelines, if you will, or the mandate of the studio who is reacting off of these negative comments, I think Joe just did as they said, which was cut him back. I don't yeah. think Joe ever said, oh, I don't like Donald Pleasance, or he was a terrible... No, no, not at all. I remember he was very gentle with Donald, and they had some good laughs on the set, and they were very cordial to each other. There was never any kind of, you know, animosity toward Donald. I just think, I, I'm sure Joe, like everybody else, was just, you know, enamored of him. We all were. Yeah. Um, so yeah. to, 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 to put that on his shoulders is really unfair. I think, if anything, I would just put it on the shoulders of that ridiculous test screening they did. Because the kids in the audience were like, who's that old dude? <laughs> Why is he in the movie? Well, you and know, Miramax yeah. being who they are, doesn't, wouldn't surprise me, would have given the note that please cut back the Donald Pleasant stuff because he's not well liked by the test people, test audience. Have you, have you heard the saying, um, telegram, telephone, tell the internet, basically? Of course, yeah. So yes. I, I, that's exactly I, probably what it is. And but that's, just, that's I, really it, what it is. It bothers me that everybody thinks they know something and they weren't even there and they want to depict somebody as being this kind of person and they don't even know him. And I, just that kind of horrible snap judgment that, this, that the fan community have. And I love them mostly. You know, like, without them, sure. I wouldn't have yeah. you know, anything. But it's just there's a meanness. There's, a, an, uh, there's an anger in the world right now that I can't, you know, I think it goes all the way to the top of our of our government, but and it's all being expressed. And it's just that we just live in a world right now where people just feel it's their right. And in a way their duty to call out everything that they don't agree with or that they would have done differently. Yep, exactly. So I, I agree with you. I, I agree. don't know what to say to that other than go make your own movies. Exactly. And then, I don't and, then know, like, and then put it out there for other people to judge as harshly as you yeah, judge that person. I just, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I, I just have a real hard time with this kind of growing culture of hatred and, 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 uh, and harsh judgment and finger pointing. And, you know, it's like if you were there and, and this somehow personally affected you or your life or your career, I could see it. I could see myself being more that kind of person who was like, oh, that fucking asshole. <laughs> but I just don't choose to live my life like that. I don't surround myself with people like that. I try to see the good in, in others. I, I look at the experiences I've had, although they're not only great, as being learning. And I think that's what we're all here to do is we learn and we grow and we mature and you go on to new things. And that's an artist life in a way. You're creating something and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And yep. sometimes it, it's falling your ass. And, but it's all about picking yourself up again. Oh, absolutely. And going on to the next thing. And I think that's a, that's a metaphor for life itself. And I don't mean to sound like, you know, I'm preaching, but please, the best, the best of us, Accomplish what we want to accomplish in life by getting back up when the chips are down. Yep. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And you're saying a lot of things that are – so if you hear me just agreeing with you, it's not I'm blindly agreeing with you. Is I actually agree with you. Um, like, like, preach on. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm not trying I'm, to tell anybody – you know, listen, I'm saying things that have been said millions of times by better people than me. But I just I, – I cannot for a moment buy into this culture – 
of divisiveness and judgment and, and, and criticism of, of just this mean-spirited shit that's going on in the world and on the Internet. It's just so destructive, and I don't want any part of it. All right, everybody, welcome back, and we will get back to the to the wrap-up with Daniel Farron's Part 5, the series finale with him. Uh, but, Brandon, we just crossed a, about the 20-minute mark um, of the interview. What do you think so far? I mean, I feel like I was on set. You know, I, I feel like I'm kind of feeling the atmosphere as far as what everyone was going through from, you know, the actors to the producers to, you know, Farron's himself. And it's, it's not pretty. <laughs> no, it, it, it was utter chaos. And, um, the fact that they were doing reshoots in July, two months, two months before the film was to be released, that tells you how chaotic that film was. Yeah, it's like it's like the wild west of filmmaking. The fact that they thought they could, you know, almost reshoot a good third of the film at least, and kind of put it together and throw it out within two months is just absolutely insane. Well, what we saw tacked on kind of looked like it was kind of just shot that quick and just thrown out there because that's exactly the way it came across on. on <laughs> now, yeah, I mean the fact that they just kind of hijack the entire story and changing it on a whim right before it releases is just absolutely crazy to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And how about the stuff he was saying that I never knew this before talking with Dan, but that Paul Rudd was, was an actually was, was a Halloween fan. I had no idea he was a Halloween fan and me, was, me neither. Everything I always heard was that he, you know, he hated it after he did it and was just kind of like done with it. Yeah, well, I mean, he kind of he kind of put that to rest, you know. It's like he he didn't like what they did with his script, but you know, he knew about the original Halloween and was all was all about it, you know, like what he said in during the Salt Lake City shoots. Um but uh yeah, you know, just really crazy stuff and then, you know, um you know, Bob Bob Weinstein um shouting through the cell phone. I always wondered why that line was put in there okay okay halloween's <laughs> over you know and now we know you know that that was thrown in there like last second on a whim because yeah, bob it was essentially improv yeah because bob weinstein had a had a freak out you know um that's just crazy to think about you know that you got uh, you got a producer all the way in new york on the phone shouting get get those fucking robes off. You know, he doesn't want to see another fucking robe. You know, it's just, that's nuts because again, like I, you, you, you heard what I said and Dan absolutely agreed with me was that, um, they shot all the salt Lake city stuff. And even before that, there, there was a script that dealt with a, with a Druid cult, uh, that, dealt with all these people in robes. They greenlit it. They funded it. They shot an entire film with it. There's even parts in the theatrical cut that still include it, by the way. But let's get all the fucking robes off. He doesn't want to see another robe. Especially the narrative when in the beginning, you know, it's not Halloween and, you know, they they have robes with the baby and stuff in the intro. And it's like, I always wondered, it just kind of stuck out like a sore thumb, like, 
what how does that make any sense but now apparently it was just everyone on set was uncomfortable and they kind of were like here shoot this we're not even gonna write it down just just take this and roll with it like crazy some of the stuff he was saying that just paul was miserable to be there you know um during the whole thing like he did not understand what they were doing and um i always felt like the theatrical cut and i understand there's people out there that that like certain parts of it and if you do great there's certain parts of it that i don't want to say i love but i can tolerate i like the h6 rock stock theme in the theatrical cut better but uh, i'm a story guy and it just the whole thing Whenever it cuts to the theatrical cut, I always felt there was parts of that film that felt disjointed and just didn't feel like it pieced together very well. And I didn't understand. I'm like, what, what, what is this? You know, we were in this underground tunnel and now all of a sudden we're, the lighting looks different when he's impaling Jamie onto the farm equipment and something looks weird. It doesn't look right. Then the stuff that was tacked on with the ending. Now we have a druid walking down the hallway and Loomis and all this stuff. And now this tacked on ending looks completely different than what I just watched. It, it always felt disjointed to me. I just could never put my finger on it. But once I found out that there was a producer's cut and there was all these reshoots, it made sense. But hearing Dan talk about it, it just doesn't sound like it was fun at all. No, it seems like everyone on the crew, the the actors, everyone just seemed kind of miserable and at the mercy of, you know, this unpredictable kind of boss who just kind of threw everything in the cast and was like, kind of figure it out. And you really got that sense from there. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I cannot wait to hear Marianne's perspective about what the reshoots were like from an actor's perspective. I wish we could get... I wish we could get Paul's perspective because, you know, it, it kind of made me respect him a little more the way that Dan talked about, you know, how he kind of had some kind of solidarity for Dan Farrens where he would kind of look to him for direction, even though he wasn't necessarily directing the, the reshoot. So it kind of made me respect Paul Rudd even a little more and kind of like his character a little more, the fact that he, he really had that loyalty to him. Absolutely. And yeah, and, and the fact that he's brought up, you know, you heard me ask the question because, you know, Dan and I had talked about it over the years um, about Paul saying, hey, you know, I would I would do a convention. Nobody ever asked me. And, well, honestly, because I, I, I met Paul Rudd at New York Comic Con last year. Oh, did you? And, I, I don't even know this story. Yeah, yeah I, I met him at New York Comic Con, and I was kind of like, because what I – my my perspective was always, you know, he kind of distanced himself from Halloween, you know, maybe wasn't a fan of the movie and kind of, you know, not that he ever openly bashed it, but just kind of one of those things where he's like, yeah, I did that. And kind of, well, now let's forget about it. And so when I met him, it was during a photo op and I was in full H six head to toe. And when I walked in, he had this ear to ear smile brought me in and he said it probably four times dude, you look amazing. You look amazing. He looked, he looked genuinely like happy about it. And I was kind of caught off guard. Cause I was like, Oh, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if he was going to look at me and be like, "Ugh, like not one of these guys. And instead he like embraced it and was like, so happy about it. Cause I guess 
you know, now that he's this huge star, he doesn't really get, I'm sure, known for Halloween playing Tommy Doyle. So he's probably getting Ant-Man and this and that. So that was probably like a shock to him to see someone coming in full age six, head to toe. And he, he ate it up. He loved it. So I kind of was like confused because I was like, oh, man, I didn't know if he would be like, ugh, like one of these guys when I walked in. And then to see him embrace it, I was like, oh, maybe he maybe he doesn't hate Halloween, you know? Yeah, I after hearing what uh, what Dan has said, I and again, I have a different perspective because I have talked to him over the years about it. And that's why I, I wanted him to put it out there. Uh, not that I was asking him to speak for Paul, but you know, there I've, I've heard numerous stories, you know, that of, of the same thing that, you know, he just didn't like the way things went down. And, you know, I heard the same story and I said, you know, all right, so let's put this all to rest. We're, we're going to address this. So, uh, the fact that 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 he did and said that um, you know that he was that he was open to doing some some uh, conventions and doing that stuff, you know, is is great, you know, because um, that was his first film, even though Clueless came out first. Uh, but that was his, technically his first major studio film, um, and the fact that he still embraces it to this day is is really cool. And how cool would it have been? if he didn't get caught up on that little teeny tiny film, Ghostbusters three to <laughs> reprise Tommy Doyle instead of uh, rusty Griswold. Yeah, I know some, some indie project no one's ever heard of exactly. taking him away from being uh, Tommy Doyle again. Now I would have loved to have seen him back in the role. I'm surprised that they asked him just for the fact that, you know, they're, they're worried about confusing people, but I think that would have been an awesome nod to, you know, his, history in the franchise and i think even regardless of how you feel about that film i feel like he's pretty universally like praised for how he played tommy doyle you usually don't hear many people complain about you know him in the movie just kind of the movie in general the only thing i ever hear about him um is that he has this little weird twitch and he plays the character a little weird at times to be honest with you I never looked at it that way. I looked at it as me being a father of a, of a six-year-old. I'm like, what would happen if my six-year-old went through what that boy went through? And how would he act as an adult being exposed to something that scary that young? That's exactly the same. You know, he, he was a young kid and had such a traumatic event happen. So, like, of course it's going to mess you up. Like you look at people who have traumas when they're a kid and how they grow up. And I feel like it kind of, it was super accurate to that kind of, you know, psychology. What was your opinions on, um, some of the stuff about Joe Chappelle? I, you know, you kind of wanted to, to look at him as the villain of the story, but Daniel kept you know, kept always throwing in the, you know, he's just doing his job and, and throwing in those to kind of diffuse me, but it, you can't help but just be like, Oh, if you could have just let him maybe do his thing, maybe it wouldn't have been such a convoluted mess. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just a guy doing his job. So you can't get too angry. And I agree with his stance on how, you know, people can say they hate someone that they've never met based on, you know, them making a bad movie. So 
in that spirit, I've, you know, it's frustrating just thinking what could have been, but you know, you gotta just realize that it is what it is and you can't change it. On that note, you, you brought up about, um, about, uh, Dan saying that you can't hate someone that you never met, which I, I totally agree with, but, uh, man, he, I, I was not expecting like when I asked that question for him to get that passionate <laughs> about, mm-hmm. cause like, I was like, okay, I kind of, I kind of opened the floodgates here and he, I mean, he went <laughs> off man, and, um, I was kind of left there going, okay. And you heard me say, well, let me, let me ask this a different way. Let me, <laughs> let me clean this up a little bit. Uh, and things kind of got back on track, but personally you heard me say it. Um, I can't say that. Uh, I don't know the guy I've heard stories and I'm not going to mention them now, but truthfully, I really think him being the director of a first major studio release for himself, getting out there um, and then having to deal with what the Weinstein camp who was going to promise him two extra films uh, that part of that three picture deal. I honestly think he just, he seriously, like I said, he went into business for himself and he started to make decisions that was going to be best for Joe Chappelle and not necessarily what was best for the movie. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You have to agree with that when you just look at kind of the decision making that he was doing, even though he had people kind of saying, eh, you know, maybe, and he just toned them out. Yep. I agree. Um, what do you think of the stance now that, you know, we've always read the reports that Joe Chappelle thought Dr. Loomis was boring, and that's why they he wanted to go back and reshoot some of this stuff, which is why I asked on the cliffhanger from last week, which led into this week, now that we got him out of the way, let's just go ahead and do whatever we want, we, we want to do. But for according to Dan, that really technically wasn't the case when it came to Donald Pleasance. I mean, I just can't believe they gave that much weight to a test audience, especially since when you're this deep into a franchise, you know, you got to play to the fans of the franchise and the fans are always going to say, you know, the more Loomis, the better. So the fact that, you know, a young audience says, who's this old guy? And they're like, ah, oh, you know what? Let's cut his screen time in half. It's almost, it's almost frustrating. Cause it's like, you, you don't understand the gravity of his character and its importance to this, storyline and so the fact that they just took that and ran with it, it it just doesn't sit right with me and especially you know after his passing it's just it's almost like a spit in the face i 100 percent agree and i almost wonder what this film would have been like and what dan's vision would have been like had new line gotten the bid and not dimension it's it's almost like a like a tragedy i'm like i want to build a time machine go back and try and like pull the strings to make it happen the right way. Just because if this movie could have been one cohesive vision the whole time, I feel like it could have been a classic, especially when you hear the way he talks about his vision. It seems more true to the spirit of Halloween and something that would have been, you know, kind of what we've been waiting for since the original. Sure. Yeah. And um, I don't want to give anything away, but, you know, you know what? No, I'm going to save it. Um, 
going going back to last week, I mean, look, for everyone, I, I mean, I I know you being out there being an H six fan, you you have gotten to see the same things I have. I've gotten in a lot of trouble defending the movie because, and I've been accused because of my friendship with Dan, that that's why. But I mean, you you got to hear it last week, first time you as a you as a Halloween six fan. So I'm asking you. Yes, I'm backtracking the last week because we didn't have anyone to to bounce ideas off last week. Um, what was your take on him finally addressing the incest angle that everybody likes to push? It was, it was interesting because, you know, he kind of said it was the evil, not necessarily incest that caused, you know, created this baby or whatever. And I was just like, you, you really have to have a suspended disbelief to look at it that way. I feel like, and maybe as the creator, you know, he had that in his head, but it didn't translate to film. So I think that people obviously were justified to interpret it as, Oh no, you know, he, he impregnated his niece. Um, but hearing what his interpretation, it, it kind of made sense. It just, I don't think it translated very well to the film. I agree. But you know, at the same time, maybe just cutting out the dialogue would have been fine. Um, and maybe a lot of people that, watched it play out that way never got a chance to see rosemary's baby so maybe that's why they it, it played to some people the way it did and some people mm. just have a really sadistic twisted mind that maybe <laughs> wanted them to think that maybe they watched a little too much Pornhub. i don't know but, <laughs> but uh but the truth is though i mean if you look at it in halloween 4 like he addressed it and it, it totally escaped my mind the very end of Halloween four, he was like, you know, I would just looked at it as this was the evil passing from one thing to the other. Like it happened in Halloween four. And I'm like, Oh shit. I didn't even think about that. You know? Yeah. That, that was really well put. It's just, unfortunately you can't, you know, explain that while you're watching the film. So especially if you look at the producer's cut, I feel like makes it look even worse with the, the whole incest angle and, you know, they bring Michael in and they have Jamie strapped to the table or whatever, and they're all dolled up in makeup and stuff. I was like, I feel like that's what really drove home the, the incest thing, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it kind of kind of makes you think, you know, okay, well, for all those kinky people out there that wanted to do it with the mask on, well, that's probably <laughs> why your mind went that direction. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> to to me, it was so vague and it was left up to your own interpretation. But like I told him last week, um, yeah, maybe the way it was shot, her chained to the to the deal there, legs spread wide open and white. She's innocent, and now here he comes, and she's begging him not to hurt her, and it's like ah, that doesn't look very good, you know. Yeah. And then and then at the very end of the film where they're discovering that the baby is his and it's like, okay, well, how did, how did she get pregnant? You know? So it's <laughs> like, you know, once again, so, but yeah, it was, it was really cool to hear what his, his original vision would have been for it or was for it. Yeah. I mean, cause we never got the, you know, the proper commentary. So to, to hear where he was, where his point of view was 
when he was writing it, it's kind of like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense than, you know, kind of what what was shot. <laughs> exactly. Agreed. Well, do you have anything that you want to add or do you want uh, to get everybody back to the to the last part of this thing where, yes, we're finally up to the audience questions and um, we're, we're off to the races and there's a little uh, little tidbit at the very, very end for everybody that I'm sure we'll comment on. You have anything else? No, I think let's just let it let it go. All right, we'll be back. This is the 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 wrap up with Daniel Farren's part five, the series finale. We'll be back. Well, um, do you have uh, before we close? Do you have an uh, opportunity that I have some audience questions? Would you be interested oh, cool. in answering a couple? Yeah. Right. I'd be thrilled. <laughs> well, perfect. Um, well, audience questions. We had a few of them sent in. I I picked a few of the best. Uh, Chad Morphis asks, what was the creepiest part of filming the movie for you? Seeing it. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, no. Uh, creepiest part. It's just not, guys, it, it to be the one like the, the, the you know, bursting the bubble. It's just not scary when you're making these movies. It's just not. It's funny. It's crazy. It's silly. It's ridiculous. You know, you're laughing, you know, you're doing all these, you know, these scenes and they're running for their lives. And, and then everybody, it's like cut and everybody starts laughing. It's just not scary. It's just not. It's fun. It's the most fun you can have. I mean, and that's part of the reason I'm so attracted to the genres because you are doing all these scenes with all this heightened emotion and, and a lot of times heightened reality. And, and it's the guy with the knife. And then it's just like sweet George Wilbur, you know, <laughs> that mask. <laughs> Nobody's scared. Sure. It's nothing about He's a teddy bear. So. Yeah, he's a teddy bear and yeah. a joy. And uh, anyway, but no, I, I wish I could give you an example of something creepy that that happened, or like I got lost in a you know whatever woods. What I, about the like smell of the happened. sewer that you guys were filming in? Ooh, yeah, that was bad. So there that you go. Bad. That was scary. Well, it wasn't creepy as much as disgusting. I mean, like literally, like those tunnels were in the like the sewage plant of Salt Lake City. So imagine like you know. You're in a shit plant, basically. Yeah. Good job, Paul Freeman. No, just kidding. Um, well, actually, I like that location. I remember when they showed photos of it. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. That's really It looks cool. good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, that was sort of unpleasant, but it wasn't scary. It was just like, ugh, can we, can we, can we wrap this up? Nurse, <laughs> so, Nurse Mary lands on the spike, and you hear, and, and uh, all of a sudden you see Mr. Hanky slide down and go, howdy ho! Yeah, like, pierces the pipe or whatever. <laughs> Oh, Michael God. Michael Bitterman asks, uh, who was okay. your preferred H6 Myers, Wilbur or Lerner? Well, George, of course, because it's George, you know, and he just loved the role so much and he understood, you know, what it meant to people. And and um, Michael Lerner was a super cool guy. He was the son of our stunt coordinator, Fred Lerner, um, who just, you know, kind of came in kind of last minute and and stood in for him during the research, I think George wasn't available the whole time. I think that's why I don't think it was, they didn't want George. I think it was, if I remember that he was doing something else during that, you know, four days of hell, I'll call it, um, when they shot all that material. So I think he just wasn't available. I think he came in one afternoon and I think he's one of the doctors in the, in the operating room. If you look closely, there's George Wilbur's in that room when he, and he hacks all the doctors to pieces, which I was like, why is he hacking the doctors to pieces? Anyway. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> But um, anyway, but but yeah, no, I, I, George, because because it's, it's George. That's why. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, Eric Hofer asked two questions. Uh, first one is, what would be your ultimate cut of the film between the producer's cut and the theatrical cut? Ooh. Um, honestly, there's not a whole lot of the theatrical version I would I would keep. I know some people are kind of enamored of that sequence of the <clears throat> of the hack and slash and the operating room thing. I, I didn't I, I didn't understand it. So I you know again I'm standing there like well, I, I don't know okay what's going on, um, but uh, yeah I just I wouldn't I wouldn't retain much of that. I, I I don't know if I could recut the producer's cut into the movie that I imagined because there were it was there were so many things done on the <clears throat> on the day of production that that just kind of you know, throughout the baby with the bathwater, just moments that were in the script that didn't get shot. Uh-huh. So if I had a chance, if I had had my, now I can change it and say, if I'd had my chance, if they'd asked me to direct the reshoots, I can tell you what I would have done. And I would have gone back and shot all the stuff they left out sure. and made a suspenseful, slow burn, scary, not gory, classic, scary Halloween movie. That, that's what I would have attempted to do with whatever resources they would give us. But I would have extended that scene in the window. Uh, I would have made it a little less goofy when the guy falls out of a tree. I had originally written it kind of more like a right Ray Bradbury kind of Halloween tree, kind of spooky kind of moment in that fair. Um, just lots of goofy stuff I would have tried to cut out and put in something that felt a little more gothic and real. Good answer. Um, now, this next question that he asked, I, I think I'm, I'm guessing he means what ended up on screen. So I think this is kind of what he means mm. by this question. But okay. what uh, was the was the Halloween six portrayal of Michael Myers written uh, like originally written to be different than what we saw on screen? Hmm. Written to be different on screen. I guess the way question, he's portrayed, but... the way he's portrayed on screen versus how you were right. Well, I mean, for things like you had brought up earlier about this so-called like incest thing like that, I don't even know what that, I just, until fans started even commenting on it, I didn't even understand what they were talking about. Um, Cause I just didn't, I never had that in my head. So um, yeah, I mean, the portray- what I missed is the portrayal of Michael Myers, whether whoever actors playing him, um, but I think George could have pulled it off is just that unstoppable, thing that force of evil that walks among the people of this quiet town and then he comes out on this one night and that lore of you know, he wrote sam hayne on the chalkboard and, and two and i'm like there is a connection to this lore of, of the origin of this holiday and, and the way that he, he he can keep surviving and they kind of the children the children call him the boogeyman but he is this indomitable force of nature kind of thing that he can't be stopped, can't be reasoned with. Um, and it's not just about the killing. I think people forget that it's not about the killing. It's about the, it's the chase, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the pursuit and the stalking and the toying with his victim. You know, I, I mean, I, every name a scene in the original movie where he just walked into a room and killed someone and it doesn't exist. Well, except maybe the sister, but even that, they milk that. But, yeah. um, but it happens know, every, in... every victim, he did something to kind of fuck with them first. You know, he unlocked the car and then the car, you know, locked the car and then the car's unlocked. 
Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like the glasses. And cat and mouse. All yeah. those kind of cat and mouse kind of childlike things. I would sort of imagine Michael Myers being a six-year-old boy who never, his mind is still six. Mm-hmm. You know, the Makes human part sense. of him. If there's, there's, you know, so he's doing things that a six-year-old boy would do, but he's a real bad kid. And he's possessed by something we don't quite have a name for or a, a label for. It's, it's demonic influence if that's you know want to label it something but he's he's possessed by a greater evil and and that comes out in the in the violence but but in a way he's this kind of frozen in this event that happened when he was six and he's replaying that over and over again all right so that's that's how i would see the character if i were to try to describe it but in terms of the way he's in the movie i just i do actually i think there's some good stuff where he's pretty relentless and pretty rough you know? <laughs> like i think he's a strong version of that you know of the character you know just lifting her up and slapping her under the wall there's a there's a there's a almost like a, a very tactile um visceral strength to him in, in six that i thought was pretty cool i like that too um Moving forward, Robert Floyd asks, do you have any planned appearances or conventions coming up this year? No, I don't. I'm, I'm right now temporarily my, my, you know, kind of loosely committed to doing something else, and I, I'm kind of keeping my, my, day, my, my dates opened um, in terms of any appearances. I'm not planning anything. If anything, I might do um, one in Florida in the fall, but it's not com- I haven't committed to it yet just because I don't know where, how this year is going to play out. Well, if it does, um, we we're, we're definitely going to get together for that. That would be awesome. I'd love to see you and uh, and go have grab a drink. <laughs> several, um, yeah, but, several, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Matt, this, I think I need a few myself. Right yeah, now. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Matt Gro- Matt Gross asks, uh, was yeah. there a scene that you loved that was filmed that didn't make it into either cut? Well, before you oh. answer that, be- before you answer that, I think we've covered mm-hmm. that over the last two hours, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, if there's like a certain like specific scene that are you, is he saying that it wasn't shot or that it was shot? Yeah, was there a scene that you loved that was filmed that didn't make it into oh. either cut of the film? Yeah, well, there were like not so much scene, but there were a couple of moments, and honestly, I don't think they've ever been made their way out even into internet, you know, bootleg land. I don't think I could be wrong because I don't know how, where, <laughs> but uh, there is a scene when the dad, you know, like the drunken dad, drives up to the house and. And I think he knocks the bicycle over. Whoopee. Um, whoopee. And then they just kind of hard, they kind of hard cut and he's in the front door. They did shoot. And I remember seeing the dailies of it. They shot a whole thing where he like walked around the back of the house and was kind of like stumbling around. And I think they thought it was kind of ridiculous. So they just kind of cut it out. But I, I liked it because it was building tension and kind of a mood. You know, it was almost like, you know, Annie walking around the, the side of the, you know, the, sure. The ball. It just felt more like Halloween to me when I those like long shots, kind of handheld, and you see him just kind of tottering around the back of the house. I do remember they shot that, and I don't think that's ever been shown anywhere. And then there was there was some more Loomis dialogue, and he said something about the witches are out tonight. You know, there was something about that 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 was shot that never made it in. Um, more interaction, I think, with the sheriff of the town, who I didn't. I, I wish yeah. they would have got Bo Star back. To be honest with you, I know that that he was probably killed. But hey, Loomis was supposed to be dead at the end of five. I know. He came back, so. I, you're right. You're right. And I think that was where we came from with it. Was like, well, he couldn't have survived the 
mysterious stranger massacre at the end. So it, it seemed to us that he would have, but it actually might, I mean, now in retrospect, like things, things that I might've done differently is maybe I would have just brought him back as more of like a hobbled kind of, you know, um, you know, Captain Ahab kind of, you know, just, you know, one of his eyes got shot out and he wears a patch or something, something like that. You know, he's just this grizzled, you know, retired police chief who's just seen too much. You know, I we could have, we could have we could have maybe played with that a bit, but it wasn't, wasn't a consideration at the time. I just remember we're saying, well, let's just put a new sheriff in the town. And, um, that was that, but anyway, but, uh, here's, yeah, so that, here's, yeah, that would be it. Here's the final question, uh, from okay. the audience. Chris Morgan from Orlando wants to know, why is oh. your favorite <laughs> film in the series Halloween H4O or 2018? Wait, say one more time. Oh, why is my favorite movie in the series? <laughs> We've <laughs> joked about this. Why is my favorite between... movie in the series? Are you trying to corner me into something I don't want to say? Uh, Absolutely I, not. I, I just joke I between us. Yeah, no, that's not my favorite. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Mine either. Mine either. Nope. Um, nope. So l- let's go ahead and start to wrap this up here. Um sure. Now, Halloween 6, released September 29th, 1995, took in $15.1 million, but was the number one um, huge opening weekend, like $7.8 million on yep. a $5 million. Right, dollar... right, right under seven. The movie Seven with Brad Pitt was the number one movie. And we yep, were number two. Exactly. Exactly. Yep, so number. huge, huge first weekend. Then it was all downhill from there. Yeah, unfortunately. But prior to its release, Joe Chappelle took part in one of those AOL Miramax chats that happened back mm. in the early stages right, of the right. internet. Yeah, I remember. I remember I did one too. Did you really? I did, yeah. Yeah, he um he was getting a lot of audience questions and okay. he just and I remember I have a copy of it, that's why I was able to quote it, but oh, wow. he was he was he was responding to fan questions like go see the movie. You know, anytime they would ask him something, see it, see it more than once. Take your friends, take them multiple times. And then the final thing that caught me was he said, I feel if you watch the film more than once, you will embrace what we were trying to break new ground. Do you believe he, do you, do you believe in your heart that you knew that, that he knew that the film was going to struggle? I think he knew it. Yeah. How do you not, I mean, how do you not, you know? So I will tell you this. So we did, I mean, I don't know when that chat took place. Was it before or after? We did do a a preview. We didn't have a premiere, but we did have a preview screening in Los Angeles of the movie for, you know, like radio station tickets, that kind of thing. There were a couple of celebrities there. I remember like Randy was in the audience. (laughs) I don't know who else, but I remember her. Um, And some of the cast and crew were there. And I remember the end of the movie. And it's that, shot of like the mask on the needle on the floor and and i remember when they shot it and i'm like you can't you can't end the movie like this right this isn't like this isn't the end and i remember it was, it was like one of those horrible moments in life where you just it's like a christopher guest movie where all the crew is like one by one walking away and it was like three in the morning and i was like wait a minute there's more you got to do more you can't just end the movie with a mask on the floor and they and it was literally down to like the first ad and the camera guy shooting that that piece that that little piece of film of like the mask lying on the floor and me and going holy crap this can't be happening this can't be the end of the movie <laughs> Bob Weinstein moments. looked over and at then, you and said Dan hold my beer watch this kind of was one of that <laughs> but then cut to the screening where we showed it for the first in the in the in the theatrical version you know to a to a real audience and the booze that went up at that ending I bet it was just 
like I, I, I wanted to sink in my seat and walking out of the theater, like in the lobby, it was crowded and I passed Joe and I'm like, I looked at him just like shaking my head and he's like, well, the only reason they booed is because they didn't want it to end. So that to me kind of put the cap on his level of awareness of what the fans really wanted. I think they didn't so much didn't want it to end. They wanted it to end well. <laughs> they wanted yeah. an ending. They wanted an ending. Just like I was begging for from the beginning. Like we need a real ending. You know, I would rather have ended it in the toilet <laughs> than what we had. I think my original scripted ending, although sadly we didn't have Donald, um, just was better. I agree. Um, so you can title this interview, It's Okay to End the Movie in the Toilet. I love it. I love it. I love it. How's that? Yeah. I think we should. And, other thi- and, uh, and an asterisk. And other things learned from the making of Halloween 6. I think that you and I should make a film together titled okay. It's Okay to End Things in the Toilet. I love that. And let's end it in the toilet, like seriously, and see how people react. And do like a POV shot of actually looking up, going down the toilet. And it could be like the ending of or that scene in Psycho after the shower scene. Where you know the, the 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 toilet, you know, you're just like zooming into the toilet, and that's the end. I love it. Well, um, what do you think Halloween Six's legacy is in in your own words? I, I don't know, man. I think unfortunately, it's one of the lesser regarded films. But for me, it's not. It's an awesome. It gave you a career. It gave me a career, career, and it it, it gave me some credibility. It's not just if not as like a, 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 you know, an A-list writer, but certainly as somebody who got into rooms or I could pitch things, I could, I had some, you know, everything's about, oh, does he have credits, you know? And, and anybody who sees Halloween, like most of the people I would even meet after the movie, I was worried. I was like, God, they're going to have seen this movie and it's not good and blah, blah, blah. And nobody even remembered which one it was. You know? <laughs> like, oh yeah. You know, people aren't, unless you're a Halloween fanatic, you don't know six from four to 10 or you just don't, you know, there's people true. just, you know, and even Jamie Lee Curtis, I think she was, the, was kind of, a, she did one of those funny interviews, which was out promoting the last one. And some guy at entertainment tonight was like, and would you get nervous when you see someone in a hockey mask? Oh, she's, she's like, pissed. Oh. she's like, Oh baby. <laughs> oh, you don't go there with me. You know? <laughs> exactly. So that yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like Joe public doesn't know. They don't know the difference between Jason and Michael. They don't know. And unless you're a real fan of the genre and specifically this franchise, you don't know six from one. So that didn't hurt what I'm saying. My point is it didn't hurt my credibility walking in a room. Oh, you made one of, you wrote one of those movies that got made, that got the be that got released by a major studio and great. Come on and meet with us. So it, it, in that way, it helped me walk through the door of the next job. You know, it's just that's, and it's something familiar that everybody knows the title. Absolutely. So that, in that way, it, it absolutely changed the trajectory of, you know, where I was at in my life before. So there's nothing but gratitude. I think of Mustafa like a, like a great uncle, <laughs> somebody and God rest his soul. He took me under his wing. He was always generous and funny and kind to me. And I always remember him that way. And I'm, pr- I just appreciate the fact that his son Malik has kind of taken on, I know he's, you know, I'm sure he gets a share of criticism as well because that's how people are. But, you know, he, he, he took it on and he takes it seriously and he, you know, wants to 
keep the family business going. And I, and I admire him for it. And uh, I just want him to hire you to make the mess at some point. Me too. Me too. And yeah. I, I think if they ever get that other uh, company that is licensing them, then this is a Chris Morgan comment, not a Daniel Farron's comment. But if they ever get that other company out of there, that uh, is uh, kind of kiboshing me. I think I'll have a, I think, I think I'll have a shot again, but. Um, I hope so. I mean, listen, I think that's the thing is this, you know, I know it's Halloween kills and then it's going to be Halloween ends. It's not going to end. We no, all know it's not, not going to end. It's just going to come into, there's going to be some new version. It's, it's like, it's like the end of the Skywalker saga. It's probably the end of the Strode saga, but yeah. Michael Myers is going to go on and on and on and on. We're never going to see the end of it. And well, uh, they're just, they're just making their, that. they're just making it nice and comfortable for you and I to come in to do the, <laughs> the next remake. That's all it is. Well, hire you to do I the mean, script. Yeah, listen, I mean, I've been asked many times if I would come back to the, of course. I mean, if, yeah, who, who wouldn't want to, you know, revisit that character and the, and that, and had healed and the, you know, the story of, of Michael Myers, I just would do it under a whole different set of circumstances. You know, I, now I've got a little street cred and I've got a lot more experience and there's just certain things I wouldn't, I just wouldn't do the same. And, and, uh, um, I'd certainly put my foot down in a much more, you know, a much more firm way. <laughs> I, was probably, I was probably like the young guy that was a pain in the ass. Now I'd be like the adult who's going to be like, oh, hell no. That's not happening. You know, it's yeah. nicer. To be, I, I like getting older because people now certain sort of look at you as being the authority figure or whatever. And not like I most, I don't want to go around spreading my authority. I just know what's right and what's wrong for certain things. And um, I would guide that ship very differently. If I had the chance. Well, that's awesome, man. Listen, I, I, I know I took up two and a half, three hours of your time, but oh, I, awesome. I, I can't thank you enough for this. Oh, my gosh. You too, man. Thanks for letting me vent a little bit and strolling down uh, memory lane with this movie. It, it, it'll never leave me. I'll, I'll always, you know, I hope maybe as I get older and, you know, dementia or something, I'll forget. <laughs> I won't <laughs> let I, you. Uh, I won't let you. I, thank you. I, I, I just. I feel a weird kinship and ownership, despite all of its little flaws and some of the bigger flaws. It's still that first thing that, that gave me a chance. And that it just was so special to me that I was part of it, um, that I met who I met, worked with who I worked with. You know, and I see a superstar like Paul Rudd. I'm like, he owes it all to me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but, you know, it's just and that, and that the fans that I have met have been so gracious and, and, and supportive and understanding about, you know, that the difficulty. And, and I hope in a way it's it, I hope people learn that making movies is not always easy. In fact, it's anything but easy. And a writer's role is very different from a director's and a director's role isn't as authoritative as you might think. There are a lot oh. of cooks in the kitchen. Especially and, on a major uh, studio film. Yeah, and even on the, on the indies, and they're not still. You're still answering to someone. Yep. And and at some point or another, that thing is out of your hands, and people are going to do things to it that you may not agree with. So, but making movies in that kind of world is movie business. It's no yep. longer movie art. That's and why they call it a business. My dog agrees. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, so, listen, uh, man, anyway, uh, but, but it's great to yeah. chat with you and thank you for the opportunity and thanks for, you know, always being such a cool, supportive person and, uh, and a friend. I appreciate that. Well, you know, you will always have my support and, um, I hope that we can catch up and Hey man, you should have a, you should have a mask on your doorstep sometime soon. Too. Oh, nice. I, that's amazing. Thank you again. And, uh, look forward to reconnecting soon. We'll, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Well, it was okay, great, nice. Dan. Appreciate it. You too. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Have a good night. Bye.
All right, we're back on Halloween Unleashed, and we we did it, man. We finally got to the end. It's been a journey, but man, this is this is definitely one of the best. I think the fact that you and Dan were friends for so long just made this feel like two guys sitting at a bar shooting the shit rather than a formal interview. And I feel like it's just it's been incredible. Yeah, and it. Again, like I've gotten so many messages over the last week, people saying, oh man, it sucks that next week's the last episode. I don't want it to end. And I was kind of the same way. Very, very much so. It's just, you know, I, I, I want more. I want more. Like I just, I could listen to it for, for days. Like I said earlier, it's just, it sucks that it has to be done, you know? Absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, we got we got several really good audience questions. Uh, is there anything in there that stood out that that you want to comment on, perhaps? Um, it was funny, you know, hearing his perspective when I think the question was uh, how how creepy was there any creepy moments on set and just kind of being like, nah, it's, it's more funny than anything because you know you know who everyone is and it's just kind of this you know, it's a lighthearted shoot, even though you're shooting these intense scenes afterwards, you're just kind of laughing. Cause it's like, ah, there's George in a mask pretending he's going to kill me kind of thing. Um, I feel like it really lets you know to the camaraderie they kind of had on set. It, yeah, absolutely. I thought the funniest thing was, and again, he was uh, nice and uh, witty with it. He said, uh, well, the, the probably the scariest thing was, was watching it, watching it on screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that definitely got a pop out of me <laughs> yeah it was it was good it was good um did you like uh did you like how i try to put him on um put him on the spot during that question thing i said chris from orlando wants to know what do you what are your true thoughts <laughs> on halloween 2018 <laughs> <laughs> and he was smart he played the fifth that was uh <laughs> that was smart <laughs> Yeah, it was a lot, lots of, lots of fun. And, um, apparently he and I, uh, when we make our first movie together, it's going to be from the toilet. So (laughs) I gotta say it was, it was cool to hear, you know, him kind of talk about some of the ideas that, you know, he wished were in the film too. Uh, I know we talked about the, the extended scene of, you know, the, the father coming home drunk and stumbling around the house. And I love the way that he tied into him saying like, it was very Halloween, like the extended shot, him stumbling around the outside, just kind of building up to what was going to eventually happen. And I was like, that's so true. And I feel like, I feel like I haven't seen that from any of the filmmakers really in that, that have touched on the, the, you know, directed these movies and stuff to really see, you know, Oh, he gets it, you know? Well, that's that's part of the reason that I mean, obviously it's different, but um, that's part of the reason why I continue to say Halloween Four was the last quality sequel made, um, because there was a lot of those moments that you're that you're referencing, and I think that was probably the last one that did stuff like that. Well, Six definitely had the stalking and stuff. You know, I, the reason I love Six is because it has that kind of same aspect as the original where, you know, you're watching a scene and like, if you're, if you're looking close enough, Oh, you see Michael in the back corner and stuff like that. And I feel like that's 
that's the kind of stuff that I love. It's like, you know, I've seen Halloween one probably 500 times in my life. And I'm still, every time I'm watching that movie, I'm looking for like Michael in a corner somewhere that maybe I missed, you know, the first 500 times I've seen it. And I feel like Halloween six captures that as well. Um, so that's kind of why I still group it as, as one of my top three. Well, again, I go back to my argument consistently. Uh, name a sequel mask, and I know it's opinionated, but this is my opinion, um, and that's okay. It's not a fact. But um, for me, the mask, the tone, the visuals, and even just the style and how it was shot. Um, and obviously, like the time of year that they shot it in, which adds adds to the tone. Name me, name me a film in the franchise that did it better. I can. I think. I think it had the strongest mask outside of the original, and I, the soundtrack is probably my favorite of any Halloween film. I love the because I'm a, I'm a big alternative rock and '90s grunge fan, so it's kind of like it's a time capsule for that period of time. Um, you know, with the flannel and everything. So I feel like that's also another thing that kind of plays into my nostalgia for it. Yeah. But it's just, I just feel like it, it was so, you know, obviously the movie has a ton of flaws and it, it kind of you know gets tripped up on itself because of all the different hands in the cookie jar. But I feel like the atmosphere in the film was just so perfectly Halloween. It was. And again, it, and that's the other thing too, even even with the producer's cut and which, you know, I like the soundtrack in that overall better because it really gave, you got to see and feel and hear Alan Howarth's uh, feel what, what he could do outside of the traditional carpenter esque type stuff. He got to kind of abandon that and go into a darker, more uh, Celtic tone with it. And, make it moodier I thought and I, that's the one thing I really really dug about the producer's cut was I loved the soundtrack and I don't know it's just it's just one of those things where I'm saying I, I liked it because it was different um, mm-hmm. yeah obviously people are gonna like oh Halloween one Halloween 2 soundtrack for for me and that's and that's fine even even four is great but for six it felt like just like just like the film, it was so totally different from the previous four, and I say four entries because three doesn't count, the previous four entries that were there uh, before it, visually and musically, it was completely different. And that's probably why it really stands out because it it was the first Halloween that felt, looked, and sounded different. And obviously with being different comes the risks and, you know, obviously it fell on its own sword because it, you know, it opened strong and then kind of fizzled out and it's still a pretty divisive film in, in the fandom. But I, I, I appreciate it for that. I appreciate that it tried to add more than just being like kind of like Friday the 13th where it's just sequels where it's like, okay, yeah, they're killing some, they're killing a bunch of, you know, teens here now killing a bunch of teens here now and it, it tried to break that mold and try and be its own thing and i feel like i respect that and i feel like they did a pretty good job of it it's just it was a victim of 
you know, politics. Unfortunately, it, it, it definitely played a huge role. Um, but, um, you know, I asked him this and he really had no clue, um, how to, how to answer it, but I'm going to ask you Halloween six, what's its legacy? I think that's, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as him. I mean, I think its legacy is, you know, kind of ending that original storyline and really being, you know, Dr. Loomis's swan song and, you know, say what you want about the film. Dr. Loomis was, you know, he, he was, he was amazing in it. I still think he, he just brought such a heart to the films that I feel like lacked afterwards and still without him. And I just think it, it, you know, it tried to explain, obviously you can't just keep doing sequels of the same thing without explaining anything about Michael Myers. And I thought that it did a cool idea that kind of drew back to the novelization of Halloween one with the, you know, the Celtic origins and stuff like that. And I feel like it really, it, it stands out as one of the more ambitious slasher films of the last, you know, 30, 40 years. I agree. And, um, then now this is specifically in the producer's cut. I mean, Loomis looked and sounded frail through the whole thing, which we obviously know he didn't last long after this. Uh, but there was one scene and that stands out to me where it was very Loomis like, and it sounded like old Loomis, um, is when he's at the barn and they discover the stab wound in Jamie and then the, sheriff walks up and tells him basically to get out of the town. You're not welcome here. Um, I don't need you around here spouting off ghost stories. And he's like, well, I guess it was a ghost that did all this. It was a ghost on the radio last night. It's like ghost being carried out of here right now. And the way he delivered it was yep. like, that's Loomis, man. And it was, vintage, yep. it was. And his scene with Deborah Strode at, at the table. It was like, that was, that was great. That's probably my my favorite scene of the entire film because it just kind of it was so like authentic and it reminded me of you know kind of the the monologues he he trails off in in the original where you know when he's spewing about Michael Myers and how sacred the house is to him it reminded me of you know him explaining to Brackett you know what he experienced when he met Michael and stuff like that it, it just felt very Loomis. It did. It did. Uh, what what really uh, is so strange about this film, and it's been commented on several times but um, throughout the years, but they, Michael and Loomis never shared a scene together in this one. Oh, wow. I feel like I've never really put that together. Yeah, and you can't say that they, that they did in the producer's cut because technically that was when um, – dressed up so when he finds him on the ground yeah <laughs> so oh man yeah. that just kind of like blew my mind i feel like i've never you know i've seen that film a thousand times but i've never really put that together yeah go back and watch it now <laughs> for a thousand and one and God damn it <laughs> now i'm gonna be like i hate this film <laughs> 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 yeah, he's always looking for him, but he he never he never comes in contact. I think the closest well, that they come was when um, 
when Kara and Danny are running across the street and he's the one that lets him in the house. And he screams, get him upstairs now, uh, because Michael was walking <laughs> towards the house. But that's the closest that they came. But they, yeah, they never shared a scene. Well, I guess they allude to the fact that Michael found him at the end when, uh, you know, the very loud scream that they dubbed in from the producer's cut. <laughs> yeah, but we never saw it. So, yep. Damn, that's that's honestly mind blowing. I just I feel like my life is a lie. <laughs> well, it's it again, it's like it's something that yeah, you know, he was he was ever present in the film throughout, but you never you never put that together cuz you look at him and throughout this series, he's the one chasing. And yeah, there's always usually a scene with them like in 5 it was at the house and mm. then it was um in 4, you know, like where where do I start and where do I stop? You know, they 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 were yeah. connected throughout that film, but uh, <laughs> but in two it was at the hospital, and one it was at the very end at the house. And you know? so, um, it's just one of those things that you know you 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 get so accustomed to seeing that that you don't think about it, and you yeah, just kind of make it up in your mind, and it's just there. <laughs> yeah, well, of course they shared a scene together. I mean, it's Loomis and Mike. No, they didn't. Damn, that that's gonna mess with me. I'm not gonna sleep tonight. <laughs> well, good. I'm I'm glad you know at this very last <laughs> episode with Dan Farrens that uh, I can I can leave it in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> you don't end podcasts in the toilet, I guess. Well, any uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Or um, no, I think that. You know, you guys really fleshed out and explored pretty much any avenue you could have looked at this film from. Um, so just thank you for putting in the work to really get this kind of in-depth interview to to really flesh out something that really we haven't gotten to see before. It's never been on the, you know, special features of anything. And it it really, I feel like, was fulfilling to listen to as a fan. So as a fan of the podcast as well, I just want to thank you and Daniel Farrens. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and um, all the all the thanks goes to Daniel Farrens. I was I was literally just a fan that got a chance to to have the conversation, and I'm I'm on, I'm honestly I'm I'm grateful, I'm thankful, and uh, for everybody that's listened, and all the all the listeners that we've gained. Yeah, India and all over the place. That's that's crazy. The Isle of Man. You know, who would have thought that? <laughs> I guess there's Halloween fans literally in under every rock in, uh, in on this planet. Absolutely. So, you know, to all those to all those out there as well, uh, thank you. Um, thank you for joining me tonight. I was glad that finally um, the first podcast you and I did together last year was the Halloween Mask episode. That was the most downloaded episode of the entire first season. So it was like. Yeah, it's really cool that you know I can sit here and I can bounce this stuff with Dylan. This is great, and he was fun. Um, but I'm like, it'd be cool if Brandon was in on this conversation too because of just where we started last year and the fact that yeah. now you're here to put a book in on the Daniel Farrens episode is actually pretty cool. It's very, very full circle. Well, not yet because we're this isn't <laughs> the final episode. But, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying for our, for our H six journey. 
this was uh it was definitely a nice uh point to meet up again for sure and well you know i don't know how many episodes uh marianne's is going to be but uh you know i i i'm estimating around five maybe more you know uh um, wow. but uh i can tell you right now the 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 first half of what we have um it's it's definitely i mean we spent from you know four four hours five hours on the phone whatever it was and we got a lot of really good good stuff and five episodes turned out with uh daniel ference for three hours and 37 minutes of actually recording those five parts so if you really look at it you know <laughs> she could uh she could really top it well i'm definitely looking forward to that because you know i really haven't heard much from her since halloween or anything so it's really cool uh to really catch up on what she's been up to and then hear her take on uh on this fiasco that was this uh this shoot <laughs> oh believe me you get it and um she's a sweetheart but uh she's uh she's a little more unleashed than uh dan is we'll just say that <laughs> I can't wait to hear. That's where we're going to leave it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, We will be back next week with an all new episode. Thanks for listening to Halloween Unleashed.